it is kind of hard to believe that we're already in September. Uh, I mean, as I'm recording this, I'm looking at I'm looking at the lineup for Criterion Channel for September, and they've got a uh, like a collection going up. 70s car movies and i mean this is perfect this is great hey happy birthday to me right that's um that's something that i'm I'm always fascinated with movies of that era but also movies that have or focus or integrate cars and car culture or the lifestyle whatever into the movies and so that's going to be perfect. I'm going to check those out for sure. You know, I looked at some older films. I was going through the watch list. Yeah, there were some movies in there that, for whatever reason, I never rated them or I never marked them as watched or whatever. So uh, I said, you know what? Now's the time. Let me let me just watch them again. One, just to see like how much I remember, but also um, the, if I like them, I... It might be worth just enjoying them once more. So one of those movies was um, a movie called Convoy. I don't know if you've ever seen that or heard of that. But, you know, it's a movie I remember from when I was a kid growing up, you know, where you had like three channels on TV. And that was one of the movies that they might show like on a Saturday morning or not Saturday morning, like a Sunday morning or you know, even a late night movie, because it's kind of, put it this way, it's in that era of films, like I talked about this not too long ago, where I think it was Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, where it came in that period during the 70s, when movies were going from like heavy, dramatic, themed material into kind of lighthearted, comedic stuff. Like the same premises, they were just putting new spins on things. And this was one of those where uh, Convoy, it kind of feels a lot like um, other movies of that era. I mean, this would have come out in, oh, when did this come out? Let me see if I can remember here. I think it was like 1970. Oh, I have to look it up. I think it was 1978. And now, if you think about it, that was right around the time of Smokey and the Bandit. That was after Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. That was after movies like Vanishing Point and all of those in the earlier earlier in the 70s. And this was one that kind of shows that transition because it is it's directed by Sam Peckinpah. It's got Chris Christopherson as the lead. It's got Ally McGraw in it. And yet it's poking fun at itself in some ways or poking fun even at the genre. Ernest Borgnine is this out of control, wildly corrupt, just off the chain sheriff who's chasing down uh, the rubber duck and this whole convoy of truckers, right? I remember only certain parts of the movie from when I was a kid, especially like the, the idea of driving trucks and being on the road. Like that was kind of the main takeaway. I really forgot a lot of what the movie was about thematically. And yet, I mean, it kind of still follows the same vein of like, you know, fighting back against the system, pushing back against, 
you know, corruption with the police or with the government or whatever. And finding your freedom, taking a stand, all that kind of stuff. And it's just strange because it is a film that also feels kind of gritty and kind of kind of dirty in a way. And I don't mean dirty like raunchy. I just mean dirty like it's got a real edge to it. Everybody's kind of sweaty or tired or uh, just seen better days. And so uh, it's funny. I, I don't know. That's just the vibe I get from it. And it, and it, look, there's nothing wrong with it. I like it. I like the idea of a film that embraces the, the I guess, the nature of the, the characters that it's trying to portray. That whole life or whatever. I'm not saying that is the life, but that's a way to frame it. And so, I don't know. It's a film that I still like. I mean, I like it maybe for even more reasons now than I did when I was a kid. But, uh, but yeah, that was an interesting one to, to revisit. So, you know, I don't know if it's really part of the streak, because I'm trying to talk about just new movies, but it is one that made me think about that era of films and... I mean, it really did occur to me. I was like, I want to do a string of these. I want to just go back into this territory of movies that were about cars or about people driving cars or people that do stuff with cars, whatever. And so then it just, I don't know, coincidence or luck that I happen to see that some theaters around the country are doing screenings of American Graffiti. Uh, because it's now the 50th anniversary this year. And I mean, I've seen the movie many times at this point, but it was one of those I realized I've never seen on the big screen. And look, for all the talk about uh, films and the theatrical experience, like going to a theater, seeing it on a giant screen, some films these days, like current or, or new films, they warrant that experience. But part of me is also I, I, like hungry for being able to see films that maybe also weren't that type of experience, but they were of a time that I, I wasn't able to see them. You know, it's like, I would have loved to be able to see this on the big screen back in, uh, what was it? 1973 when it came out, but I, I wasn't even alive then. So, I've done it a few times over the years. I've gone to see films that have been like re-released or just have kind of special anniversary screening or something like that. I remember I went to see uh, Lawrence of Arabia back, I think it was like the 35th anniversary or something like that, which, I mean, that would have been probably like, what, 20 years ago now? Um but I remember seeing that and thinking and seeing it on big screen, 70 millimeter and thinking like, okay, this is a, this is the way to see this kind of film. Lawrence of Arabia. Come on. You, you cannot enjoy that as much on a television, certainly not on a mobile device like you can on a giant screen. So that's one that, is always stuck with me as an important experience. Uh, it highlighted the idea of going to see a film in the theater. And so I've done that a few other times. Um, 
This one with uh, American Graffiti, it's not necessarily a re-release, from what I can tell. Like, you know, it is George Lucas, but I, it doesn't look like they messed with the film any. Like, he didn't go add anything in it. He didn't really clean anything up, from what I could tell. The most that looked obvious, or seemed obvious, were some maybe additional or, or like kind of uh, juiced up sound effects. You know, some of the sound editing, you could tell like, okay, they, they added in some bigger punches or some more sounds like in crowd scenes. It just didn't sound like a film that might have been produced in basic stereo sound in 1973. It sounded like it was a little more, a little more going on in the sound mix. Which, I, that's fine, you know. To me, it was more about seeing these cars, hearing this music, just kind of getting the whole vibe of that film on this big screen. So, that was an experience, you know. I I took my son to go see it, who has a, maybe a similar fascination with cars, but is very... Um, I'll just say it has really no connection or frame of reference for this time period. Uh, certainly not in real life, but maybe not even on film. So I thought, well, maybe this would be a good kind of window into a different era and not just like the locations and the cars and stuff, but like how people talked and how people were, how society worked, let's say. So that was an interesting experience to see it, not only for myself on the big screen, but to kind of see it through someone else's eyes and see what their take on it is. I, I kind of feel like that was worth the ticket. And um, and I saw it on, what was it, National Cinema Day or whatever, so it was only four bucks. So that was that was nice. And also, I, this isn't quite the same, but all of September, Alamo Drafthouse is doing this Kubrick collection. They're showing all of his films throughout the month of September, even into October a little bit. And that was one that I immediately, I was like, I, I got to go see some of these. I got to do this. So some of the films, I think I could be okay if I don't you need to hit the theaters for. You know, the only one I did ever get to watch in the theater was Eyes Wide Shut. And that's an experience for sure. Um, but I do remember feeling like just sitting in the theater watching it, like this is a, this is kind of a special thing, not only because of what the film is or whatever, but just like, this is his last film. And, and I think at that time when it was released, what was it 90, 99, 97? I think, I mean, he had either just passed away or he was close to passing away when the film released. So it was very much like, I, okay, this is kind of important. Like, this is a filmmaker who I enjoy all of his films, so I need to see this in the theater. And uh, But all the others, I mean, the only one I probably would have come close to seeing at some point would have been 2001, because I'm sure they've done these anniversary-type screenings over the years. But I never made it to one. And so now it's the first one that I'm going to do at the beginning of September. I'm going to do a screening of 2001 and see how that goes. I mean, I've always enjoyed the movie. I know it's it's long and slow and weird, but 
I, it's just something that it's like a, a gem from an era that shouldn't have produced gems like that, I think. You know, to think that that film came out, I think it was 1968, and yet so much in the world that was going on, but also so much of what's told in the film, what's shown in the film, was so far from reality. And either it came true or it's close to coming true now. Whether it's going to the moon or the advent of artificial intelligence, right? Like, take your pick. Those things are happening or have happened. So uh, I want to go back and see that on the big screen. Going to do that coming up soon. And then... There are a couple other films. I mean, at least here where I'm at in the Houston area, there's only one Alamo Draft House here, and they've they're not showing all of his films, which is a little bit of a disappointment. Um, now maybe they'll kind of book more screenings or open some up as we get into the month, but for right now, they're only showing like six of his films, I think. And one of them that I wanted to see that I wasn't sure they were going to program was The Shining. And they just did, or I just saw a, an addition to it. So I got tickets for The Shining. That's not till October. But I figured that's going to be a really interesting one to see on the big screen also, right? I mean, that's it's an experience on its own. But it's also, I, I think it's so undeniable again on a big screen. Like there's nowhere else to really mentally escape. <laughs> so some of these films I, I would want to see again, obviously um, it turns out of course that these screenings, the tickets just went like that. So it's once I found out about it, which apparently was a little too late, I went to go look at tickets and they were just like going, like there was hardly anything left. So, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll see if I can find some more that open up throughout September. Maybe check those out too. But that's interesting. I just, I've got, I was a little curious about what I was going to do as I kind of look forward into what other films I want to talk about or watch. I want to really, like I said, stay away from new releases, like just kind of back off of that for a while. Let that do its thing. I'll come back around to some newer stuff later, but I want to go back and look at, older films and stuff that I've obviously missed or just passed on for whatever reason. And um, so look in that vein of like, I've got two different things of, of two different sets of films that I'm looking at Kubrick. I've seen all of his films. I actually, I take it back. I've seen all but three of his films. And the most recent one was the killing, which I just talked about not too long ago. And that was a, a discovery for me. Um, but I've never seen uh, Paths of Glory. I've never seen all of Barry Lyndon. Um, I've seen Spartacus once, and that was, I was, it was so long ago, it's honestly like I didn't see it. So there may be a point here where I go back and watch those. Um, I've kind of got those lined up to maybe do later on. But for now, what I want to do is I want to go into this Criterion collection, these 70s car movies. This is perfect. Um, and the first one is Le Mans, which, um, 
you know, for a long time, I think I had confused or maybe combined in a way with Grand Prix. And, you know, that's a film probably from around the same time. Uh, it was directed by John Frankenheimer. I know that. I think James Garner's in it. Some other people. It's been a long time since I've seen that one also. But that was one that, for me, really showed, oh, okay, the the things that were happening in filmmaking to capture like this high speed racing on film. And so watching this now, watching Le Mans, I'm, this was one that honestly, I feel like if my memory serves, this takes it even further. And because this film, I mean, there are characters in it. Steve McQueen is, I guess the main character in it. And there is some, sort of plot and and some things that are going on between the characters. But honestly, like 80% of this film is just watching cars racing. And that is pretty amazing. Because you think about now, you can watch a race on television uh, with the coverage that they do with the commentator and the cameras and, and all that stuff. But you have to remember, this film, Le Mans, came out in 1971 and there was nothing like this available to people. If you wanted to watch a race, I mean, you had to go to the race. And if you've ever watched a race from the stands, it's nothing like this. You're not in the cockpit. You're not on the ground, like just scraping the road at, you know, 150 miles an hour. This is... I put it this way. This was really impressive in terms of what they were able to do to capture this type of speed and just the, the elements. There's a lot of like racing in the rain, even at night. And they're able to capture this on film and it looks great. I mean, I don't know if it's been maybe restored or, or it's just held up so well over the years, but the cinematography in this film is, is amazing. And just capturing these cars, capturing the the energy of racing. Uh, this film doesn't really... It's one of those I could see it really set the bar for, okay, this is how you have to do this now. And I can think of a few other films over the years that have maybe uh, dialed that up or pushed it even further. Something like Rush. Uh, which came out, what, maybe like 10 years ago now? Well, it was Ron Howard film, Chris Hemsworth, um, Daniel Bruhl's in it. It's a really good film, and it's similar to some of the territory in this film. But that is, if I remember, I think that's about F1 racing. But then you also have uh, Ford versus Ferrari. It just came out, what, like three or four years ago? And... Um, that's probably more in line with what this film is, although that is a lot more about the characters and about their story, the racing and all that, the cars is kind of secondary, but it's important. It's part of the title, right? Um, but I mean, just the whole, the fact that this film was done over 50 years ago and really does it so well. I, I just think that that is, that's a remarkable achievement. I mean, there's not an easy way to say, you know, if you want to show racing on film, 
I mean, there's only so many ways you can really do that. You know what I mean? There's only so many places you can put a car or, or a camera in a car. And there's only so many angles you can get. There's only so many cuts you can get. And look, you even kind of see it happen in the film where, okay, well, we're showing cars passing a certain point in the track and we kind of just get the same shot like eight times in a row. Or like even when the cars are starting up for the race, they announce the, the, the car, the number, and then they show the driver starting the car up. And then we get that like five or six times in a row. I'm like, okay, well, you kind of ran out of a little bit of ideas here. But once the racing gets going and you start to see the guys kind of jockeying for position, trying to pass and trying to get around corners and all that, it's pretty impressive. And uh, so I, I just, uh, I don't know why I never saw this film. I feel like this is, um, you know what I think it is, actually? I think because it's not clear what this film is really totally about, like in terms of, like thematically. Like, I don't feel like there's a real big hook here other than just this is about two, specifically, it's about two racers who are trying to win the race, right? They're kind of rivals or they're just, they're working to win for themselves. And so other than that, I mean, there's not really a lot, of, there's no bigger picture stuff in the, in the works here. It is just about cars going fast and the guys that drive them. And so, and, and I think that's where you've seen, let's say racing movies, quote unquote, you've seen them advance since this is, okay, they've tried to work in more story, more character, like make it more interesting why I want this person to win over that person. Because here, I, I kind of did, it didn't really matter who of any of these racers won to me. Uh, and and in a way, that's kind of how I watch real racing. It's like, I don't keep up with the racers. I don't keep up with the teams, uh, who's involved with all that. I just pick a car that I feel like is doing good, and I want to see them make it to the end and be first. And that doesn't always, and that's not really a way to watch racing, I know. But uh, for someone who just enjoys the sport of it, not necessarily the uh, all the drama or the 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 behind the scenes uh, motivation for it all. I, I mean, that's, that's at least the easiest way to, to do it is just pick the car you like and hope that it wins or see if it wins. The idea of putting a little more behind it into who, who's winning and why should they win? I think that's where you'll see more recent or more modern racing films. Uh, they really try to do that here. It's, it's pretty light on that. I mean, there is some, there is some drama to it, but it's, it's really more about the racing. This, I mean, I've seen it a, a couple of places where this is almost like a documentary approach to making a film like this. And it does kind of feel like that. Like a lot of the film is about the, the culture around racing, even like the people who come to set up, to watch the race who are there at all hours of the morning to get a good spot, the people who are on the stands, the people who are around the teams or around the drivers. And 
So it, it kind of minimizes any central conflict between characters because there's so it's, it's just giving you like a bird's eye view of the whole thing. And, um, and you know, that's fine. It, it doesn't mean it's the worst approach, but it also doesn't make it necessarily the best racing movie. But it is an important one, I think, because of how well it does what it does do. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I was kind of surprised by it. And, I mean, if that's the first in this Criterion Channel collection, uh, I'm down. We'll, we'll keep it going. The other film that I took some time to watch, which I wasn't necessarily in the mood to watch it, but I wanted to, to just give it a shot was a film called Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry. And I think that's from 1974, if I remember right. And wow, I mean, I tell you, it's one of those that I feel like it's kind of, it, it, it it's almost in like knockoff territory. Like it feels like some other movies that were made at the same time. And yet it's got some very distinct things about it. Uh, you know, I can say... The main character is Peter Fonda. He plays Larry. He's a racer, a race car driver. And it's him and his mechanic, Zeke. And they are uh, kind of on the run, actually. They're a racing pair, a, a duo, that has just basically gone into criminality. You know? And in that, they pick up Dirty Mary, <laughs> who is uh, somehow... Look, I'll just say, I I don't really know Susan George, who plays Mary in this film. I don't really know her from any other films, but she really, it's like low key is the best casting because she looks kind of gnarly, kind of dumb, kind of scary, like dangerous wise, but also adds an element of fun to the whole thing. And yet it's also annoying in some moments. It's a weird mix. It's just a weird mix of these three characters on this journey. And they're being pursued by, uh, again, some crazy sheriff or, you know, the, the police that are, that are trying to catch them. And you see where they've got, you know, they're trading cars. They're like just on the run. They're always moving. The action is always moving in the film. And yet, the real standout sequence, or let's say the standout element to the film, is when, after all these different things, these ways they're trying to figure out to kind of keep from getting caught, they end up picking up this green Dodge Charger, right? 69 Charger, like a lime green, sublime green, let's say. And they just haul ass and they're they're going for it trying to get away and that's where the film kind of really ups the stakes because not only are these characters really pushing the envelope now of trying to not get caught but the filmmakers are pushing the envelope in terms of the stunts i mean some of the stunts in this film they are legit dangerous and they're like borderline irresponsible I mean, if you think about it, like what it takes to do some of these stunts and then to capture it on film and who would be willing to do some of this, you know, there's the whole, 
the the final sequence, the the last run that they they are trying to get away from the cops. There's a an officer and and a, there's a pilot in the helicopter that are they're literally chasing this car almost at eye level, like up, hovering above the road, doing who knows how many miles an hour. It looks insane, and of course this was from the early seventies, so there's no visual effects there is a guy in a helicopter chasing a guy or three people in a car at high speed with trees with all kinds of other things going on around them i mean it is legit crazy to just watch happen much less to have figured out how to do it safely so that's why i think the film kind of earns its stripes is it it really goes there in terms of trying to do something that maybe we haven't seen on film yet. Otherwise, I mean, the film, I, I feel like it's, it's familiar territory. If you've watched chase films or heist films, or just um, even some buddy comedy movies, like it, we're in some familiar territory. The one thing, the other thing, aside from the stunts and some of the action in the film the other thing that this film pulls off, which is a bold move, I mean, it's a choice, is the end. And without telling you what happens at the end necessarily, um, I'll just say that it's not one you really see coming. Although if you kind of zoom out and you look at how would this realistically end, it makes sense. But it's still such a shocker the way it's kind of laid out for you. You expect the film is going to go a certain direction and then, nope, we're doing something else. And so I, that's a bold move. And I'll give it, you know, I'll give the credit to actually trying to do something different. So, again, that's one that's in this Criterion collection. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to some of these others. Anyway, that's it for now. I'm going to come back later with some other some other car movies to talk about. We'll see y'all around and uh, go watch something new.